back to another episode of the podcast to be named later. I'm Noah Hiles and Lunatics. It's a short season, but it's looking like it's going to be a long one as well. My goodness, another tough loss for your Pittsburgh Pirates. They fall yet again, 2-8 and eight on the year now, worst record in the major leagues, and yet again they lose a ball game that they had no business losing. This was a game that they should have won and they should have easily won. They were well in control. Everything was going great and it all fell apart. I said in one of the episodes after a loss last week, I can't even remember which one, they're all starting to blur together. I said, good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose. Well, today's way to lose was found by none other than the man I called out on our last episode. And that was Derek Shelton. On Monday's show, I said before the game, I said, Derek Shelton needs to be great this series. It's a test. What are you going to do to get the bats going? What are you going to do to get a win for this ball club that's in desperate need of one to kind of turn things around, to salvage the season, just to wake some people up, for goodness sake? Derek Shelton played a big role in why the Pirates lost this ball game. And if you didn't watch, A, I don't blame you, Penguins hockey was on. But if you were watching the Penguins game, I'll put it this way. Derek Shelton's decision-making was worse than the Penguins' power play on Monday night. It was really that bad. The decision to bring in a guy who has a 21.6 at the time he did, a 21.6, it could go out and get a beer with the Miami Marlins and break social distancing protocols. That's how high his ERA is. You bring in a guy with a 21.6 ERA with the tying run in scoring position in a game that you need to win. They brought in Miguel Del Pozo. And when when you're hosting a show like this, when you write, when you host a podcast, a radio show, a TV show, you know, this is a big outlet. Players, they're going to hear this. They're going to read this. And you have to be careful about what you say, but analysis is analysis. Miguel Del Pozo does not belong in the major leagues. He does not belong in the major leagues. And and, in my opinion, he shouldn't be in Altoona as a taxi squad member. This guy should not be even considered to be a major leaguer. And I'm sorry if this sounds drastic, but I think anyone who's watched him pitch this year would agree. He is not a qualified major league pitcher. He can't throw strikes. He gets hit hard when he does, but he doesn't even get hit hard. He has walked more batters this season than he has recorded outs. This is a guy with, I think, four outings now. That's a problem. And you're bringing him into a game that you have a lead in? A one-run lead with the tying run on second base? What is the justification for that? What makes you think that that's a good call? And it's a shame that I can't ask that. And I know he will be asked that. And I'm sure Alex and I are going to talk about that in shows to come. And Dayon's going to talk about it. And everyone else in Pittsburgh's going to talk about it. 
because it's worth discussing. I don't care if you've been managing baseball games for 40 years or 10 days. You have to know that Miguel DePozo should not be put in in that situation. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to Derek Holland. It's not fair to the other players on the team. It's not fair to the fans. It's not fair to anyone. There's not one answer that he could give short of everyone else's arm had fallen off that would justify him being put in in that situation. Especially when Chris Stratton was up and ready to put out his mess in the same inning. You can't tell me that Chris Stratton couldn't have come in, got that one out, and the Pirates would have went in to the next inning with the lead still. Come on now. If, if both of them were going to pitch, why wouldn't you give the worst of the two a clean inning to start with? Especially when Stratton's coming in with runners on base, what it seems like every outing anyway. I don't get it. I really do not get it. And I'm not trying to, to go after the new manager, someone I haven't even spoken with yet. Everyone seems to like him. But it's choices like that that make me think, what the hell are you doing, man? What was that? That's, that's a bad team finding a way to lose, led by a bad decision. Awful. Another bad decision. And I'm going to go a little lighter on this one because it's a decision I wanted to see be made. Cole Tucker was not ready to play center field. I asked for it. I regret it. The highlight of his day was the first pitch he saw. He hit it. Home run. Real nice. After that, Cole Tucker had a miserable game on Monday night. His blunder in the sixth inning led to two runs scoring and the tying run getting in scoring position. Who would then score because of Del Pozo's incompetence. He also looked lost in the ninth inning. When he nearly ran into Guillermo on a fly ball into right center field. I'm not a center field expert. I'm not a better center fielder than Cole Tucker. But from playing center field in high school baseball. Or just watching baseball in general. You would know that center field, that's your ball. You call everyone else off. You have the main priority. No one calls you off. You call them off. He didn't say a word. They even zoomed into his face while watching that play. And he was just focused on the ball. There was no communication. And I don't blame him. That's a a situation he's never been in. And I'm not ready to give up on the Cole Tucker center field experiment or the Cole Tucker outfielder experiment. I'm not ready to do that yet. What I'm just saying now is he was not ready for center field. I asked for it, and I was wrong to do so. He was not ready for center field. Another big reason Monday night's loss was a real shame was the offense. Four runs. I'm not being pessimistic when I say this. You've got to win when this team gives you four runs. Because I don't know how often it's going to happen. Especially, by the way, they're swinging the bats right now. I mean, this is a team that just scored one run in 11 innings. 
the whole Chicago series. They couldn't get anybody across the plate. And they open up the game the first time through the order. They scored twice. And two different and two different occasions they scored. It wasn't by one swing of the bat. They were they were hitting the ball. Seven, eight, nine in any lineup. When seven, eight, and nine, those spots, the bottom third, are producing, you have to take advantage of that. You have to win a game when your offense is struggling. And then your seven, eight, and nine hitters come up and produce runs for you. You can't let that game slip away. You just cannot do that. Joe Block said it on the telecast. The Pirates were either winning or tied for every single pitch thrown in that game, aside from the final one that came from Nick Birdie. Finding a way to lose games. It's tough. Point out some positives, I guess, like I always try to do. Phil Evans is a hitter. Reminds me of, uh, I tweeted this, you can follow me on Twitter, at Noah underscore Hiles 95. I tweeted this. Phil Evans right now reminds me of Adam Frazier when he was in his first full season in the bigs. 2017, I believe it was. And I said this on the podcast last week. He's just swinging a hot stick. There's not really a, a place for him. It's not a guy that the Pirates really had considered as a part of their future. But you got to keep putting him in the lineup because he's he's doing something that no one else on the team is doing. He's getting hits consistently. Him and Colin Moran. And you need it. That'd be one smart decision Mr. Shelton can make. And he needs to start making some better ones because the choice to put in Miguel DePozo cost his team yet another ball game. They've already lost a sixth of the games that they'll play this year. And they're only 12 games into this season. That's tough. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Alex will join the show. And we're going to discuss something that was pretty darn good today. Starting pitching. Not Derek Holland, but some other guys in the rotation what they do with the injuries going on, and the situation that arose on Sunday when Stephen Brault had a perfect game going through three. We'll dive into how they really should be approaching the piggybacking as we move forward. We'll be back. Second segment, we're stepping away from Monday night's action to talk about something that occurred over the weekend that we really didn't get into on our Monday show, and that's the starting pitching situation. I kind of hinted at it a little bit, but we're going to take a deep dive in it now. Alex is back with us now. Uh, hello, Alex from the past, future Alex, however however this works. You're in a different time zone. It just creeps me out. I don't understand time zones, why they're important, and um, yeah, so coordinating this was like way more complicated than it needed to be. Can you confirm that? Yeah, because I say, hey, you want to do this at 3.30? It's like... Alex, it's, it's 3.45 now. <laughs> I'm like looking at the sun. So I'm like, if it sets to the west, that means I should call him at this time. No. But all, in all seriousness, it, we joke about our problems coordinating this podcast. The Pirates have some serious problems right now, like that transition, in their starting pitching rotation. Um, it's been good. They've been getting good starts. We did mention that. 
Uh, they got a great start from Stephen Broad on Sunday. Three perfect innings. That's where we're going to begin this whole discussion. Before we dive into how they rearrange this rotation, um, what were your thoughts on Stephen Broad getting uh, the quick yank after three perfect innings? I don't think it was really a quick yank. That was what he was scheduled to go, and that's yeah. kind of how the breaks go for the piggybacking. Um, that's just how it was. I mean, he'd only been built up to about three innings during summer camp, and he only pitched two in his uh, first start because of the rain delay. He, he was probably going to go that third inning uh, the second time, or that first time if it wasn't for the rain, but he didn't, so he didn't get to build up further. So it's a lot of small factors like that. And I'm, I'm going to save the other point for – we got some audio coming on in a second. I'm going to save the second point for whenever Shelton says it because I don't want to put any words in any mouth. Okay. Uh, I was going to introduce that. But, yes, the, the Pirate Skipper also weighed in on that. We're going to get to him in a second. Um, to play devil's advocate, Alex, and I, I agree that this was the right choice to make, I guess, simply because, yeah, he wasn't stretched out. However, the baseball fan inside me, the guy who's been watching the game and hearing about all the old stories and how the game used to be played and managed. And that's not a good reference point when you're talking about modern baseball because it's apples and oranges now. However, when a guy's got a perfect game going, I think you owe it to him to at least maybe consider the idea of letting it ride. What if he did throw another, what if you put him out there in the fourth inning and he throws another perfect inning? Does your mind change then? Or is it, We've thrown him one inning too far. Now he's definitely got to come out. I, I think the longer you keep him in the game like that, it just makes it harder and harder to, to justify, you know, let's take this guy out. Like, let's just say, you know, he'd already pitched three. Okay, let's send him out for a fourth. You know, we're going to push him a little bit. You know, Mitch Keller's hurt. Maybe he needs to make like an actual, you know, full-length start next time. Let's push him a little bit, see how it goes. Okay, if he throws another perfect inning, we're going to still have the same discussion the next day. Like he threw four perfect innings and they took him out of the ball game. You know, he's just not built up to the point where he's at, he's not a full starter at the moment. That's, it's just as simple as that. And if you extend him too far out, it's going to lead to potential arm injuries for him. Now, Brault did throw fewer pitches in this start than he did on Monday, but it, you know, there's more taxing of, you know, getting up and, you know, getting warmed up again. Uh, he especially has talked about, you know, how hard that, you know, in a regular season start, how hard that sixth or seventh time getting loose, you know, in between innings, innings is. So that is something that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. I think people look at pitch count and they, we just as, you know, <laughs> we, we see nice round numbers like 50 or 100 be like, yeah, that's, you know, a good market point. Like, yeah. Everyone says, oh, pitchers get tired at 100 pitches. No, they actually get tired. I mean, a lot of them, you see the decline starting about like 80, 85, but that's not as, you know, nice and raw a number. Right that's there. something a lot of people also fail to recognize about when they see that pitch count at 100. They've thrown probably 700 pitches that entire day. When you consider the workload their arm goes through, when they warm up, when they long toss, you know, and the warm-up pitches they throw in between innings, their bullpen session before the game. Just the amount of times, I mean, they, our arms would be falling off if we just threw 80 baseballs in general in a day. And I get that that's their job is to be able to condition that, but it's not just 100 pitches they're throwing. Their arm is throwing so much 
from so many different speeds, velocities, angles, and, and distances, it's, it's 100 is like the tanks on E. It's not like this is a stopping point. It's this cannot go any further at risk of, you know, a problem coming up. And when you're like you said, Alex, when you're conditioned to only go three innings, you're also approaching hitters differently. Stephen Brawl probably isn't putting as much on his fastball if he knows that Chad Cool isn't coming into the game after the third inning. So it changes the whole mentality of the game. It changes the way he goes about his business. And that's, I guess, why you have to take him out. But still, there is a part of me, the baseball fan in me, wants to see him. That's such a rare opportunity when a guy's in a zone like that. Maybe just let him get through the order. And if it's rolling, it's rolling. And Pirates fans could argue, look, the way this team's playing right now, what are fans really going to have to cheer for? Is it going to be a playoff race? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm not the it, one It doesn't that. look like run right now. It, it doesn't look like, like run one right now. So why not give the fans, even the players, something to rally behind and give this guy a shot to go for a no-no? That could be a counter-argument to make. Let's hear what the manager has to say on this. We've talked about since the beginning of this piggyback and since the first time I talked to Bralton Cool about it, I told him specifically that. And I think I even talked to you guys about it. I saw it last year and Rocco had to do it with uh, Pineda and Perez with one of them throwing a perfect game. And we knew exactly where he was going to be at. Uh, you know, the fact that he had only thrown two innings the last time because of the rain delay and, and no way were we going to extend it. And then the other thing is, is when you tell the second guy who has been trained as a starter that like he's going to get the fourth inning, he's already started his ramp up work and we don't want anything to come in there. But on the flip side of that, I will say that Stephen Brawl was outstanding. You know, I mean, that seems like it happened about six hours ago. But uh, I really, you know, I really want to talk about not only the job he did, his tempo, everything, his execution. I mean, that was outstanding. It was, that was really fun to watch. So, yeah, basically what you said, Alex. I mean, he's sticking to the book, and that's his job. His job is to implement these decisions, and then the first time a hard – if the first time a hard decision came – after implementing the strategy and he just backed away from it, that would look horrible. I mean, he's got to stick to the plan. This is, this is the best case scenario for him where in other people's eyes, it's, Oh, you got to keep him in longer. He's like, no, this is what I wanted. I wanted him to come in, go nine up, nine down and hand the ball over to Chad. That's what we drew up. Yeah. And I think Chad Cole is the forgotten factor in all this because here's a pitcher who he's only ever been a starter and it's been, you know, a challenge for him and Justin message, you know, to, to get him ready to go in starts because, you know, whenever you're a starting pitcher, you have pretty much free reign of the outfield. You can start hours, your day hours beforehand, stuff like that. He just didn't have, he just doesn't have that luxury anymore. He has to get old. He has to really get ready in the bullpen. So whenever you say, Chad, you're going to come in the pitch in the fourth inning, the process really starts in the first inning, you know, of, of starting to get going, you know, hitting the bike, you know, get starting to stretch, do other things. It's, it's a long process for someone who's only ever been a starter. If we were in September at this point and Stephen Brault was fully, you know, stretched out to be a starting pitcher at this point, And it wasn't Chad cool. And it was, it was someone else who kind of, comes in and out of the bullpen like like a Cody Ponce type situation. Um, I could I I'd be willing to hear the argument of you know 
Steven's really in the groove right now. Sorry, Cody. We're going to stick with Steven for a little bit. But Steven hasn't been built up right now. Chad Cole's arm, you know, it, it's it's still rehabbing. This is the first year back. There, there are a lot of different factors in here. Piggybacking is – it kind of lends itself to this – it basically welcomes the criticism. I mean, it's not necessarily – completely justified but anytime you do something new first guy who runs through the wall always gets a little bloody like that but you know you look at those two starts I mean the first one five and two-thirds no runs allowed in the second one uh four and two-thirds and it was injury shortened one earned run I mean it's it's yielded very good results so far fantastic results like this this is the best Stephen Brault has ever looked that start Sunday by far the best he has looked in the major leagues I'll just say it oh that's a bold claim, considering he had a. Perfect- I, I know, I know how good he looked last year, but no, what, you've seen him. In person- I was being sarcastic. It's not a bold claim. He went nine up, nine down. Okay, okay, but okay, I, I, I was just talking pure stuff wise. Like I, I was kind of even ignoring the results. Like if he had given up a couple hits, I would probably still be saying, "Oh my god, did you see Stephen Brault today?" So you talked about the injury shortage. Chad Cool comes out with a. What you told me was a hangnail. Is that official or is that? it's that's that's me reading between the lines there but it's an abrasion of the cuticle of his right index finger i can't even i can't even spell half those words let's go with hangnail he has a hangnail and it's not officially a hangnail. okay well he had a problem with his finger yes taken out of the game alex hypothetically uh you know pirates pitchers in their finger and didn't ian snell like burn his finger on a grill one time or something (laughs) remember that oh man Oh, man, those are the days. Uh, but anyway, hypothetically, Chad Cool can't go this second time or this this next start. Let's say he goes on the 10-day IL or whatever. Um, who replaces him? The, the initial thought would be JT Brubaker because he's gone two, three innings out of the pen and scoreless. He'd be perfect for this. But you'd have to imagine that he's going into Mitch Keller's spot now. Yeah. So who, who's next in line to be the piggyback guy? I mean, there's nothing official yet with Mitch Keller, but it really does look like Brew Baker. Here's a guy who's been stretched out to about four innings during summer camp. I mean, maybe he has to piggyback with someone else, but maybe not as drastic, you know, just like a two-inning piggyback on, on top of that. Was of that was going to be our next topic, but we can get into that later. Go ahead and answer the question <laughs> I originally asked you, please. Uh, but for your next one, uh, there's been, you know, some talking, like maybe Steven can go a little further. I, I, I don't think they want to add any more than another inning for him uh, but if they want to strictly stick with the piggyback situation that they have I look at someone like Cody Ponce who's stretched out to about three or four innings right now has some experience as a starter and some experience coming out of the bullpen so that's kind of what you ideally would want out of that you know piggyback guy someone who's just going to go through the lineup once why not Chris Stratton Stratton's another guy yeah or do they Stratton's- like I mean they've been bringing Stratton in a lot I've noticed with runners on base, which is yeah. kind of wild considering a majority of his MLB career has been as a starter. And you don't like to do that with certain guys. But, and he's done, I mean, he's a, he's semi well with in, he's done semi well with inherited runners. So do you think they would risk taking him out of that role? Or because I think he would probably be the most ideal candidate. Or do you piggyback Stratton with Brubaker and go with Pons and Brault? I, I think. Stratton definitely could fit into a piggyback role. I, I think 
he's at the point where he could bare minimum throw two innings pitched. And if he's built up a little bit, he could probably get that third inning or at least get it started for uh, a piggyback situation, which, which is kind of what you're eyeballing. You want, you know, that three inning mark, you have that circle, maybe the guy goes four sometimes, but yeah, that's, I think kind of what they are looking for in that regard. But Stratton definitely is a guy. Uh, Ponce is definitely a guy. Sam Howard used to start in the minor leagues. He could potentially be a guy. He went two winnings on, on Sunday. Sam Howard, I hear that name. I just think like quarterback at an average SEC school. Like, See, I, I hear someone who signed like, out the of Declaration the of Independence. Tennessee. Who are you thinking? What? Someone who like signed the Declaration of Independence. Ah, Okay. I mean, maybe his granddaddy signed the Dec- Declaration of Independence. And, and had a fantastic mustache yeah, while doing just, it. He accepted a scholarship, but he didn't need it because his family has generational wealth. Like, we're, we're just going on, way off topic here. Um, <laughs> Alex, final thoughts on this subject, on this show? Uh, How's Minnesota, buddy? You know, I haven't Better been. Better than in, Wisconsin? Wisconsin was, that was an interesting drive through the states. All right. Yeah, Minnesota, I'm, I'm grounded right now, so it's nice. Be sure to give us a follow on all of our social media platforms. Subscribe to the DK Sports Radio Podcast Network. We've got a lot of great content on the Penguins, the Steelers, the Pirates, Pitt, whatever else there is to talk about. We're talking about it right here, and we're doing it pretty darn well, if I do say so myself. For Alex Stump, I'm Noah Heil signing off, Sam. We'll see you tomorrow.